As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow board member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors and you just don't know what to say to them, so you ignore them instead? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow men while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? In order to help, Leading Saints has put together the LGBT Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of the most popular sessions are available now to watch. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. My name is Scott Friedland. I'm from Spokane, Washington. I've been listening to Leading Saints and the podcast as well as the summit. The thing that I enjoy most about it is listening to Kurt will just drill into the specific questions of the people that he's talking with and interviewing and really dig deep to really bring to the surface what a lot of us are wondering about, curious about, and looking for insights on how we could be better understanding and just improve in our lives that way. I just think it's an incredible resource that, that's out there. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation, like this podcast, which we hope you will subscribe to. We also have a website at leadingsaints.org with thousands of incredible articles all about leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint. We host virtual summits, live events, and also have a weekly newsletter to keep you up to date on all things happening with Leading Saints. Visit leadingsaints.org for more information. It came as a result of a position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the only, only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability. I'm with Jordan Romans. How are you, Jordan? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having awesome. me. Now give us a little background. Like where do you live? What's your calling? What, what do we hope to, to talk about today? <laughs> okay, uh, a little background. Well, I'm coming to you from Apex, North Carolina, which is just outside of Raleigh. In fact, we're right by the Raleigh Temple. Uh, it's actually in, I go to church in the stake center that's right by it. So uh, if you're near the Raleigh Temple, then you're not far from, from where we are. We've been here, my family, my wife, Melissa, and my four children I have been here almost eight years, which is the longest we've lived anywhere. And we moved here from Arizona before uh, and then Utah before that and, and Virginia before that. So we've kind of bounced ping pong back and forth between East and, and West. Um, I have a daughter who's on a mission in, in Salt Lake City in Temple Square. 
She's been out for about 10 months. Um, currently, I serve as the bishop in, uh, in the Beaver Creek Ward here in, uh, in the Apex Stake. And what we hope to talk about today, just everything, but... How you figured it out, Jordan? That's what we're going to talk about. (laughs) I kid, I kid. I have some notes. Uh, (laughs) Cool. And uh, so how long have you been bishop at this point? uh, So actually today is four and a half years on the day. My biggest fear is they'll release me before I figure out how to do it. So uh, uh, the day after, Jordan. That's when it happens the day after. So well, that's cool. I'm excited to uh, learn about your experience and what's what's going on in your neck of the woods and in the kingdom of God. And uh, maybe just tell us like what, and, and maybe it seems so long ago, like just transitioning into being a bishop, like what were some of the early hurdles that maybe you didn't expect that, that faced you early on? So it was interesting. I'd been serving in the Bishop Brick as a counselor prior to. So I had some idea of the administrative, I guess, uh, tasks that the bishop would do or needed to do. But I can remember two funny uh, kind of anecdotes. One is my first full Sunday as the bishop. I was at church for almost 13 hours between meetings and meeting with people. But it was just, I was going and I loved it. And I was meeting with the youth and, and I would... Uh, but the minute everything ended and I said, okay, I got to get home. Uh, I could barely keep my eyes open driving home. And I got home and dinner was sitting on, you know, my place at the table. Everybody else had, had gone back to their rooms or wherever they were. And I remember closing my, you know, folding my arms and closing my eyes to say a prayer. And then just slowly right into my, my dinner, but fell asleep. Um, and so I wasn't prepared, I think for just, you know, I hadn't, I had I'd sat at the desk most of the day, um, but just the, you know, the mental exercise, the spiritual exercise that was there. So that was the first that surprised me because I hadn't experienced that as a counselor. And then I was, it was about two weeks, three weeks later, driving up to Virginia to see my folks. And I got a phone call from a, a sister in the ward who was struggling with uh, a question about whether or not to babysit her mother's dog while her mother had an outpatient surgery. For her, it was really a big struggle. And I'm on the phone, I'm in the car, I was actually by myself at the time. And I'm thinking, oh man, whatever I say is going to be the gospel truth for this circumstance, right? Like, well, my bishop told me I didn't have to watch your dog. And it you know, it seems funny now, but in the, in the moment I said, you know, can I just take a minute and I'll call you back? And I hung up the phone and then I, I just started you know, having this conversation with Heavenly Father saying, what do I do in this situation? You know, what do I tell her? It's not, there's no doctrinal basis one way or the other. Do we say be kind and do it? But if, if you're really feeling like you can't, I mean, they're kind of funny anecdotes, but, but I wasn't, um, or I was just surprised by that aspect that, you know, whatever I might say, somebody might take that as this is absolute. God does not want me to do this or God expects that I will. Um, and that really made me pause, um, and say, uh, man, I, I don't want to get this wrong. Uh, and so, so that was a little surprising, um, and a little overwhelming at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
And so uh, I called her back. We had a good conversation. She made the decision. Oh, and if I can, I'll interject. So my dad was a bishop a couple times. And when I got called, uh, we were talking and he was giving me some advice. And he said, you know, here's the, the best thing I can tell you is you're not going to solve anybody's problems. Uh, they're going to be theirs. They're going to come in. They're going to talk to you. You're going to try and give them wise counsel. And they're going to leave with those problems. And the only person that's going to solve them is the Savior. So if you don't worry about having to solve everybody's problem, if you can just point them to, to the Savior, to Heavenly Father, you'll be okay. Now, I didn't remember that right in the moment when this lady was asking about the dog. Uh, <laughs> and it only been a couple of weeks. But So that was a little, uh, I don't know if that answers your question or not. But yeah, that, that was really good. No, I think you uh, reveal a dynamic that you, that you really don't expect is just sort of the, the weight of your words change, right? The, your counsel is suddenly bishop council and brings a little weight with it or sometimes people put too much weight on maybe what what is said or and right. even when you say things in passing so yeah you sort of get into that mode where it's like i've really got to be thoughtful about the words i speak and the put together in, in some of these situations you know so as i do with these uh, how i lead interviews is so uh, i asked you to put together some principles you feel like have served you well during your time in leadership. And uh, let's go through these. So the first one is uh, when we are sincere, the Lord's forgiveness is essentially immediate. Give us some background on that. I love Kurt. I love this. Um, what I have come to understand about the, this principle. I've, I've talked a lot to our youth that, um, you know, repentance is our process that we go through and repentance is lifelong. Right. It's a continual tweak here and a turn there. And I'm going to change. So it takes effort and it takes time. But forgiveness, the way I understand it, when, when we're sincere, is almost like that. Right. That, that the Lord says, hey, I've already those, those sins, those mistakes, they were paid for long ago. In fact, if we kind of bend time, they were always paid for. <laughs> so to speak, right? The, the Lord was always going to, to um, fulfill that role. And so to me, it's a, you know, I've, I've met with people in the office um, in my own personal life. I've had these experiences where I felt the immediate response that the Lord say, it's okay. I forgive you right now. You're going to have to work on this. It's not over, you know, and, and I often refer to the, this, the woman who's taken in adultery, right? We, we know this story very well her change has to take place over the rest of her life. But the forgiveness from the Lord, I think comes in that moment when he says, I don't condemn you, right? I forgive you, but you need to change, right? You got to keep working on this. And I've just been incredibly amazed at how quick to have that feeling, that confirmation, and then to be able to actually articulate it to somebody and say, you know, here's the impression that I get. Um, the yeah. impression that I get is the Lord has forgiven you. Um, because you're sincere, right? And if you come in tomorrow and you've made the same mistake and you're sincerely sorry for it and you're really trying, I believe the Lord's like, okay, I forgive you again. It's not hard for him to do that. It's just hard for us sometimes to believe that he will or that he does. I think if we can believe it, then that makes the repentance process so much easier and more effective and, and more long lasting, right? Is I believe he's made me clean and whole right this moment. So there's hope there. Yeah. That, that answer. Yeah, that's really good. And, and it's just as new to see how, uh, you know, you articulate and, and communicate these, these principles, especially in the context of repentance, because sometimes 
it's easy to give the wrong impression or, you know, you're going to have to really work for this forgiveness or, you know, you don't feel bad enough. And so it's great to recognize that. Yeah. That, you know, the, the Lord's sacrifice is done and that forgiveness is waiting for us to pick it up, you know? Well, it's freely offered. The key to me is sincerity, right? Not, not perfection Mm -hmm. and not some, well, I've done this for, you know, three months or six months, or I believe you look at Alma, the younger, and in the moment he says, Oh, Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. It, it's wiped away, right? He says, my, my pain, my anguish was gone. Mm-hmm. Or didn't say, well, let's see, you, you spent how many years doing all these bad things? So come back to me in five when I've seen some meaningful change. Because I think, well, I know that the Lord knows our hearts, right? So he knew when Alma cried out that he was sincere. And so it's gone right now. Again, Alma spends the rest of his life trying to to show his conversion. We spend the rest of our lives trying to repent daily and show our conversion. But man, the, if we could just believe that Christ will forgive us immediately, right? He's not interested in, I say to, I love, he's not interested in punishment. He's interested in progression, right? Yeah. The minute we progress, he allows us to progress. Or the minute we're ready uh, to progress. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't hold us to some timeline that we have to, to follow. Yeah. There's a lot of grace in that for sure. The next principle you, you put, I'm, I'm intrigued by as far as you should, uh, leaders should do more to build bridges outside of our church or ward community. And I know you've done a lot of work in this area. So tell us about that journey. Oh, I've got a really great friend. His name is Kyle Meyer. He's the pastor of one of the Methodist um, congregations here in town. And we met, our state does this community leaders luncheon every year, except for last year, but where we bring in um, faith leaders, civic leaders, government officials, and we have lunch together and um, we just get to meet people from other uh, you know, walks of life and celebrate um, what they're, the good they're doing. Uh, and then the, the church, actually the state gives out a, a bridge builder award. And they pick, it was been the YMCA, it's been disaster, you know, cleanup. Um, I wish I could say this was my creation. It wasn't, I came here and it was already up and running. But, um, and the point of this is in one of those luncheons, I'm sitting next to this guy and we strike up a conversation and he's the minister here in, at the local, it's called the Peak Church, the Peak Methodist Church. And just an awesome guy with a great testimony of Christ and a desire to do good. And so we're, and I had just been called as the bishop. And so I was pretty excited about, hey, let's, you know, let's link arms and do something. So we talked and talked, we exchanged numbers. And then one year later, we are sitting side by side in the same luncheon. Uh, <laughs> hey, you look familiar. Uh, yeah, we were going to do something. So it took a little while to get it going. But we partnered up, we, we got all of our youth together. So we had 65 of ours and about 25 of theirs. We actually went to their church. We did a, a bake, cookie bake where we packaged the dry goods and we stood outside in different locations around the town. And as people came out of the shopping centers or the, the stores they were in, we had youth there saying, hey, we'd love to give you two bags of cookies, one for you to bake for your family and one for you to bake and take to a neighbor. So it had no, no religion around it. You know, it's just do something nice for your neighbor. Get to know them. Uh, it was such a neat experience for, uh, well, for all of us, but for our youth to be um, in their building, 
and them to welcome us. They had this big uh, soundproof glass or, or acrylic enclosure where they had the drums that they use in the um, in their service. And our youth were a little jealous that they had drums and uh, guitars. Uh, I don't think we're going to get our state president to approve that, but um, but they were super gracious. We had kids that weren't members of either congregation who joined, you know, kids who brought friends. Um, so that was just this amazing, uh, the start of an amazing relationship and friendship with, uh, with my, with, with Kyle. Um, a year later, or not quite, uh, we were having the dedication of the rededication of the Raleigh temple, but they had to take it down to the, to the foundation, uh, and build it back up and, uh, it's, we're out to lunch one day, Kyle and I, and he says, Hey, you know, I do this podcast. Would you like to be on it and talk to my congregation about your temple? <laughs> I said, Hmm, would I like to be on Yeah. 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 I would like to be on it. Um, and so we spent an hour, maybe a little more on this podcast that was predominantly to his own congregation where he asked me very uh, insightful, very but very reverent questions about the temple and what it meant and what it meant to us. And, and then he joined me for a tour of the temple a couple of weeks later. And, um, but you know, just this idea of, Hey, we're trying to do good. You're trying to do good. Let's link arms and, and do some good together. Uh, let's get our youth together. Let's not be afraid that just because we believe a little bit differently about some of the doctrine that we can't be united in doing good. Right. Uh, he has a strong testimony of Christ. He wants to bring people to to God. He wants to help people be better. I love that. Uh, and there's a ton of faith leaders here in this area. You know, we're pretty lucky. Apex is a, a very religious or We're in the South. We're in a place where people talk about their church. In fact, I've seen a, a hundred times when people move in, especially in our ward, somebody will say, you know, I was moving boxes in and my neighbor came over and they said, Hey, do you have a church that you go to? Here's the church that we belong to. Would you like to come? Uh, and I said, why are we not doing that when, when they move in? Let's walk over and say, Hey, we've got a great church that we'd love for you to come to. So I just think that there are so many opportunities outside of, I mean, I think we need to do, we obviously we, we build and strengthen our wards. That's important. Provide opportunities for our youth, but, and there are some good, people out there trying to do good and how great to link arms and, and be connected with them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that story. And and I actually listened to that podcast episode. I forget what's the name of that, that his podcast. Oh, it's called views from the peak views from the views peak. From the peak. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to put that link in there. Cause it was just like, uh, you could tell the friendship you had, you know, you're very comfortable with each other and talking back and forth about different religious concepts. And it was just a great example of maybe how to do that. And I, I learned that concept from is the the question of you know have you have you found a church to attend yet because inside of Utah you sort of feel like you have to ask well are you are you a Latter Day Saint first because it's such a predominant like cultural yeah. thing right but out and it works even within Utah but to, instead of asking what religion are you just saying hey have you found a church to attend yet you're welcome to attend with us and you know that may open up a lot of a lot of opportunities so. I love that people are, people are open about it, you know, even in situations where perhaps it's, it's a more of a social network for them or, or uh, but even then they're very open about, I go to church. I, I love my, uh, I love my minister. I'm trying to be like Jesus. You can drive down just about any street and somebody has got a sign that says, thank you, Jesus in their, 
you know, in their yard. And it's just, uh, it's, it's nice to feel like you can have that conversation with people. And it's pretty cool to see other people trying to get you to, you know, come to church with them and, and yeah. share that experience. I don't, yeah, that's think, awesome. I don't know that we do it enough. And I know we're, we're counseled. I mean, we see it modeled, I think, with our, at the church, the big C church. And I think we get a little nervous when it, when it's the, the local um, church, right? Like, Ooh, what, what are my parameters that I can, you know, you know do I have to stay in? And uh, I think, you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm all for following the rules and, and we have handbooks and those are good. Um, very good. But they leave a lot open to say, you know what, go out and, and meet somebody and be involved and, and serve with, you know, we have just serve, which is crosses all you know, lines. Um, so I think we have some leeway, a little more leeway than maybe we think to say, yeah, let's go out and get engaged with other people, other religions, other groups. Yeah. So I'm curious about this, uh, the community leader luncheon. Is that something that the public affairs put, puts together or? So the way I, I, and it's been going on, I think for about 12 or 13 years. So it was before uh, I got here, but um, the, I, the way I understood it was, yeah, our public affairs group. Um, so our, our previous state president was actually the public affairs, uh, you know, director prior to that. And so I think he was instrumental in getting the approval and putting it all together. And, and then, uh, and then as he, after he got called to be the state president and, you know, now he had all of the, uh, the keys there to, to push it even further forward. And so we have about 200 and 200 to 250 people attend now. I think the first one was like eight and they're all, there are mostly all church, <laughs> church members. Um, maybe a few, maybe a mayor here, but we've got all the mayors from the local towns. Um, so five or six mayors that come, We've had government officials from different like foreign diplomats that have been invited and, and come. Um, we've had the governor's, someone from the governor's office. Usually it's not the governor that comes, but, yeah. but certainly a wide range of, of civic and, and religious leaders. Last or two years ago, I sat with the chief of police and the, the fire chief in the town uh, here in Apex. So that was pretty neat to just, talk to them and, and talk about, Hey, you know, if, if there is a disaster, we've got a pretty good way of at least contacting, you know, our folks. Um, imagine if we linked with all of these other churches, how quickly we could get information out, you know, coordinate with them, um, with the police, with the fire or rescue or whatever, you know, it's a hurricane and we need to get information quickly. So just kind of fun to, to go back and forth and figure out, you know, how do we work together? Um, doesn't always have to be church related, although it's nice to support it, right? With yeah. where they're in the stake center, they're, they get to see what we do and where we are. So do you uh, typically only invite like church leaders or other community individuals who live within the boundary of your stake or close to it? Or is there a cutoff that you aim towards? Yeah, no. So we, we, we pull as many as we can. So like, couple of the mayors are from towns that are in a, a separate stake from us. Um, then certainly they reach out to all of the, uh, like the, the state level. So we had the state disaster relief organization was represented. Um, we've got like local YMCA, but also state YMCA. Um, so they try and pull everybody that we sort of touch boundaries with, right? If, 
if our, if apex touches boundaries with the next town over, we want them to, to come even if they're in a different stake, but we typically don't go another city over, right? We kind of leave that for that stake. And we say, look, well, why don't we just, we'll touch all of our neighbors um, and make sure that we're communicating with them. And then at the bigger level, we'll look at state and even, you know, national and international. And I don't, I don't know how we know, or I don't know how our state president knew the consul general, the consul general of Ecuador. Um, (laughs) But I'm pretty sure one year he was there and that was pretty cool. Um, So you have, so it, it definitely goes outside of the, you know, of the stake boundaries. I think the constant, the idea is, you know, is really to link arms with the people right around and then to recognize somebody's, you know, contribution. So two years ago, it was the YMCA, just our local, one of the local YMCAs. And they had, I think, eight or nine ladies who, uh, who worked there, who came and represented the group and they get a plaque and, and this nice ceremony. And it's actually really, it's been really neat. I've gotten to know our current mayor and our previous mayor um, pretty well, just initially through that contact. And then how do we, again, how do we be good neighbors? How do we with citizens in the community? What, what does the mayor see as a need? And then can we help fill that? Right. Can we support what, what he's trying to do or she's trying to do? Yeah. Really inspiring and a great way to, to make it welcoming. And it's not all about, you know, 10 Sunday services per se. It's just, let's get together and talk and get to know each other and see where it leads. So that's awesome. Uh, next principle you put is callings are rarely about efficiency or proficiency. What do you mean by that? I love, so our state president, you know, would always say the Lord's not interested in efficiency. Most of, of what we do is not the most efficient way to do it. Right. Calling lay people um, to lead the church who have no formal background in, in most of this stuff. Um, uh, that's not an efficient way to do things. Uh, but that's okay. And so sending out 18 and 19 year old missionaries certainly um, doesn't seem like the most efficient way to do things, but it it works. It works um, because God's not interested in efficiency. He's interested in growth and opportunity. And so uh, if you try and say, well, I'm going to put the most proficient or efficient person in the calling, you, you might be wrong most times. Every once in a while, you might be right. But I think if you just based it on, well, who is, do I have a teacher by training that I can put in this teacher role? Um, Then you miss the person that is actually going to make an impact. Well, I shouldn't say you miss them. That person could very well do the calling. But uh, I just love that the Lord isn't interested in whether or not I have a, a degree in the seminary, right, to be a bishop or I mean, clearly he's not interested in efficiency in this case uh, or proficiency uh, for in, in my case. But certainly this idea that, that we don't have to have some kind of formal training uh, or, or even show an aptitude. We just have to be willing, willing to serve. I, I love, so as I've, as I've had the opportunity to extend, you know, a lot of callings over the years, people will often, I'll say, would you be willing to accept, you know, this calling? And they'll say, well, uh, Bishop, I feel really overwhelmed. And I say, oh, that's great. Uh, And they look at me and they say, wait, no, I said, I felt overwhelmed. And I said, no, I heard you. I said, that's great. Uh, Overwhelmed 
means that we'll, we'll kneel down and we'll ask for some help. Now, debilitated is a different story. Mm. You know, if you're feeling debilitated, then let's talk and maybe this isn't right. But, um, but if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, that's good. Um, the Lord can work with that because you're humble and you recognize that I, you know, I can't do this all by myself. Um, you know, I, uh, just to reference, I, I know we talked about this briefly, but I, listening to previous podcasts, um, that, that was just a recent one with, with Thomas Griffith, where it was talking about politics and sort of getting myopic, right? I'm just, I'm Republican or I'm, you know, I'm Democrat or whatever the, the name may be. Um, I think we can do that sometimes in the church. Uh, there's just these 10 guys that, um, you know, that, that, that he's going to be the best person for the job. I know it because I know he's just, I, I can trust him with this. Right. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's a great place to be, you know, if you're, if you're that kind of person, right. That, um, but I, you know, I, I've, I've changed. Uh, well, let me explain it this way. So my dad, when he was a bishop, when I was a kid, my dad was my bishop. And when I was 12, he called, and I, I forget his name, uh, Brother Barnes, but I can't remember his first name. But Brother Barnes was not a member of the church. His wife was. Um, this was a different era. My dad called him to be my Sunday school teacher. Um, now, you can't oh, wow. do that today, but but there was nothing against it, I guess, in the handbook. Or I don't know. My dad's a little bit of a maverick. So he... Uh, <laughs> But he thought, you know, if if I teach, uh, if Brother Barnes teaches the gospel, it will help him learn the gospel. And so he called him to be my my Sunday school teacher. And to his credit, Brother Barnes accepted the call as a non-member. Um, wow. And he came every week and he taught my class. Uh, and it wasn't too long. I mean, he'd been married maybe 12, 15 years um, and just would come to church was a super nice guy. Just wasn't interested in joining the church. And it wasn't long before he called my dad and said, I'd like to be baptized. And, you know, not, not every story is going to work that way, but, but it, it has always got me thinking about brother Barnes was not the, the choice that you would make, right? He wasn't the person you think, Oh yeah, if we're going to put somebody in front of the youth, it's gotta be this other, you know, it's gotta be this guy that we know is, he's been the elders corn president five times and he's amazing. Um, and he probably is amazing. Yeah. But it was a little different. And so, so I just love that, you know, the Lord wasn't interested in efficiency in that situation. He was interested in brother Barnes. And so brother Barnes had the opportunity to, to grow and, and learn and, and it changed his life and his family's life forever. And again, like I said, not every story ends like that. Although, interestingly enough, I have, uh, if I can, if you don't mind, I have a, a similar story. I have a, we needed a new young woman's president in our ward. This was a couple years back. And I go through, uh, so I have a habit of, of going down the rows and trying to say everybody's name as the sacrament's going on. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about this young woman's president. And uh, in the very back, in the back, my to my right, uh, there's a, a woman, a, a sister who's not a member of the church. So I, you know, I look at each sister and I kind of think for a minute. You know, is Heavenly Father? Is this who you want? Is this who it should be? And with no preconceived ideas, as I'm going, you know, doing this exercise, and I get to her, and uh, and the thought is, man, she would make a great young woman's president. 
And I thought, yeah, she would. She's amazing. She's just not a member of the church. Um, so it makes it a little tricky because you know, <laughs> I can't do what my dad did. So I kind of move on and I got two, two sisters over when it was as if someone took my head and uh, swiveled it back. And then the thought was um, not that she would be a good young woman's president. She will be the young woman's president. Um, this is the end of October, um, just to frame it up. So I'm thinking, well, she's been married for 12 years, and same, you know, almost exactly. They've been coming to church, faithful, pays tithing. You know, husband's a, a, solid, a strong member. He's actually my counselor now. So I invite her to come meet with me in the office. And so she comes in and we're talking and she's a very straight shooter. And I said, uh, I said, Jenna, I've, I've got to tell you the impression that I had in church um, last week. And I said, the, the Lord would like you to be our next young woman's president. And I said, I, you know, listen, um, she's like, I, I don't understand. And I said, well, I, I don't understand either, except for this is what I know. This is what I was, what I felt. And anyway, we, we talked about it and she said, well, are you asking me to take the discussions or are you asking me to accept the calling? And I said, well, both and neither. I'm asking you to pray about and, and ask whether or not you should be baptized because to take the calling, you've got to be a member of the church. But I'm telling you right now that the Lord wants you in this calling. And I was, I mean, I'm, I was scared. I, you know, this was, a, this was a, because I thought I don't want to paint her into a corner. Yeah. You don't want to be manipulative. Right. And I don't, and I, and I told her that I said, listen, I, I'm relaying a message that came to me from the spirit and it's up to you. And, but I don't want to paint you into a corner and I don't want you to feel like there's uh, you know, that you're in a, you're stuck here, but this is what I know. And so we talked about it. She said, well, I'm going to have to really think and pray about it. So I hope you will really think and pray about it. Um, you need to know. And, um, in the middle of November, we have a follow-up meeting. She says, I need a little more time. I said, okay, no problem. We meet again at the beginning of December and she comes in and I'll shorten the story, but basically she says, you know, even last night I, I wasn't sure what my decision would be, but uh, I just, the spirit told me that I would know today when we were talking. <laughs> I thought, oh, good. So whatever I say uh, is going to lead this one way or the other, or, or you know, and I said, well, what, what do you feel right now? And she said, well, I feel like I, I need to be baptized. And, uh, you know, I'm trying not to jump out of my chair and, and uh, just... <laughs> Uh, my heart's beating. I, you know, I just, I, I can feel the, the spirit confirming this. And she says, you know, I probably ought to tell my husband. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, let's do that first. You, you do that. And then we can talk about the logistics. And so we, she was baptized on January 12th. She was confirmed on January 13th uh, as a member of the church. And she was sustained as our young woman's president on January 20th. Um, oh, cool. And she served for two years and she was amazing. I love that. It was, it love was that. really cool. So maybe all stories yeah. do end up like that. Maybe they all end yeah. up with you. Well, and, you know, like you said, maybe some don't, but it's worth, it's sort of, you know, worth looking down that, that path every once in a while. I remember as, you know, in, in Bishop Rick's, like going through names and discussing suggestions of names for certain callings. And oftentimes I'd say, all right, I need a dark horse candidate here. Like I need someone that's sort of off the wall that maybe you didn't, yeah. 
you wouldn't anticipate. And it's like, you're sort of pushing up against that revelation to see if it pushes back, you know, because it's so easy to say like, okay, we need a Sunday school teacher. We either got that, the high school science teacher or the, uh, the corporate sales guy who is really good with presenting, you know, it's like, which one are we going to pick? And it's, and it's, and it's great. You know, sometimes those individuals make remarkable teachers because that's their skill set, And maybe there's a season for that, but to sort of push up against that revelation to see if it pushes back on some names you wouldn't expect, even those that um, would aren't even members like your experience. I mean, that's a, that's a remarkable exercise. So. Well, I love, and I love that. I, I love what you're saying. I, I, I've started, you know, anytime we need that we have a calling and, and I just do a little bit of, you know, before we even discuss it as a, as a bishopric, I go through the list and, and I almost start with who's the least likely candidate. Right? Who is the, the person that probably wouldn't ever get recommended? Um, and again, it's not that I'm trying to, it's not that I want every story to be this, hey, look at this miraculous, you know, thing that happened. But, but we can, it's same thing, we just get myopic about, about it. And, and I think the Lord expects us to use our intellect and, and discuss it and, you know, not just say, okay, well, Heavenly Father, just tell me everything I need to do, right? Just tell me who it is. I think we have to talk it out. I think sometimes we have to say, hey, I think this guy or this this woman could really do this calling, you know, this could do the calling. And people say, no, absolutely not. And it turns out they're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, or they become fantastic. And sometimes they don't, but they have a great, uh, you know, experience in the process. I think that's probably what they'll say when I'm done as a bishop. Like, well, you know, it wasn't great, but <laughs> maybe it was good for him in the process. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Jordan, this has been fantastic. I, I appreciate these principles and the new perspectives at times uh, that they they brought, and so uh, I'm excited to share this uh, with others. And uh, the last question I have for you is: as you, you know, now that you're mainly. Uh, I would guess at the, at the end of your, your time serving as Bishop, how has being a leader in this role helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, that's a, a great question. Uh, this morning I had a chance to speak to the seminary students. We had an early morning devotional. I actually did it from the Bishop's office because as my camera faces me behind me are, you know, the picture of, of Christ in, in Gethsemane and, uh, and then the portrait of Christ that we're very, you know, the church we're familiar with the red, the red robe, Del Parsons picture. And I guess one thing about being a leader that's helped me be a better follower is recognizing how involved Christ is in, in all of this. Um, I told the youth today, like, I hope when people sit across from me in, in that, in that office, that they look right past me and they look and see who it is that's actually paying the has paid the price who it is that's you know watching over them in love who it is that forgives and heals and helps and you know i may say some stuff that hopefully points you to to where the source is um but i've just come to really understand how how involved christ is so that's helped me be a better better follower because i i realize how important he is in my life right in my relationship with him i've uh the other thing is in councils and in, in watching other people serve with some really great people. I serve right now as the bishop, but in six months or so, I'll be in a new calling. There'll be a new bishop and I'll be asked to follow in that regard. And uh, But even in the time that I've been the bishop to recognize that in council, 
there are there are often better ways than than the way that I suggested in the beginning. And I think a leader really part of the job is to elicit the the good and the great from those around you, and then be willing to say, "Hey, that that's actually the right way to do this." Um, has nothing to do with with uh, whether I'm you know I mean it shouldn't be about it was my idea or not my idea, right? It should be, man, that that's a that's a great way. I love how you're thinking and let's do that. Right. And, and, uh, and not worry, um, you know, whose idea it was, I mean, I'll take credit for it later, um, somewhere down the road, but that's uh, no. Um, but I, I think just, uh, realizing that, that others have can lead while you lead, right. Um, presidents have authority in some, you know, uh, elders quorum president have keys so they can lead while you lead. Uh, we can all, leading I guess um, depending on what your calling is you just magnify that calling and so give them the runway to lead in that calling um, don't micromanage it so much I mean I, it's amazing that this church works um, it shouldn't because you have power 30,000 or whatever bishops uh, you know who are all different you have half that many state presidents who are all different um, it's crazy but but it works when we allow the spirit to be part of it And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense and share it with somebody who could relate to this experience. And this is how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling. And that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, uh, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Maybe send this individual an email letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them and uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. And there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library.